chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I want to teach tonight on the fruit of the Spirit, and this will be part three, the fruit of the Spirit, and maybe we can provide a little bit of insight or some sidelights into these verses in a way that you've never considered before. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, we told you in previous lessons that fruit trees do not bear fruit to consume their own meat, that every fruit tree bears fruit so that somebody can come along and harvest that fruit and enjoy it. We told you how important light is for the development of fruit. So important. Without it, fruit could never come to a place of maturity like it needs to. We explained to you then that uh, a congregation is supposed to be filled with fruit bearing people, which means that a congregation essentially should be an orchard. And whatever a person's background or lifestyle However difficult their life might seem to be, when they come into a local church, they should be able to enjoy the fruit from the branches of your life. A person that's depressed should be able to find joy through you. A person who's an unbeliever, filled with doubt and worry, should be able to pluck faith from your branches. A person who's skittish, impatient, easily offended or annoyed should be able to pluck from your branches kindness or gentleness. In explaining this to you, I wanted you to understand that all of us have work to do. And even though the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, in many places are far more popular than the nine fruit of the Spirit, the greater bulk of your Christian life, you're going to be trying to live right here in verses 22 and 23. Now, now God may use you in some unusual ways, and you may have some manifestations of the Spirit in your life that really startle you and startle others, and the power of God comes into manifestation. But again, the majority of your Christian life is going to be spent right here trying to cause these things to flourish in your life. And what I want to do this evening is explain to you how to minister these nine fruit of the spirit to people that you come in contact with. Because a lot of people don't know. And a lot of people are just Christian. They live their life as best they can, but they never even think about making sure that this fruit is available to other people. And I want to share with you how to do that. So again, let's have a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we break the bread of life and minister this evening, I'm praying that you help me to clarify anything that's complex. I pray that Jesus' name, his life, his ministry would be lifted up in all that we say and do. And if there's anything in our life, <clears throat> oh God, that's lacking, we pray that you help supply what we need in order for this to be in manifestation through us. Help us to be witnesses to everybody to whom we come in contact with in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't believe I've ever been to a country in my life that didn't have jails 
or detention centers. That means wherever you go, there's always some kind of crime. People are breaking laws, their transgressions and things like that. But but prisons, by and large, are designed to separate criminals from society in order to isolate that kind of criminal behavior. So you're penalizing them by placing them in an incarceration facility. But when you study the thousands and thousands of people around the world and in America that are in prison, you can observe patterns. And with these patterns, you can put people in categories. And so every prison typically has people of at least three different kinds. Number one, you've got those individuals who are emotionally disturbed. Because a lot of people go out and do crazy things. You wonder why in the world they do that. They just... There's just something about them that, that's off. It could be here, it could be here, but somewhere. But then they also have a group of people in prison that are easily offended. Because whether somebody got angry and did this or did that, whether it was calculated or impulsive, they murdered somebody, they stole from somebody. It was a terrible thing. The, the third group of people are those that we'll say are, are infirmed physically. Because in a prison, if you don't align yourself with the right clique or the right gang, chances are pretty good when you get into jail, you're going to get jumped. There are a lot of people in jail that are blind, people that are maimed, people that are crippled, people that have been affected because they've been stabbed. And some people were hurt before they even got to the inside. So with all of these different people that are in there, you can see how a prison would just be a place of a lot of sadness and sorrow for some people because the offense doesn't stop. The emotional issues don't stop. Well, if you go into any community or city here in America or around the world, you're still going to find people that are wounded. Yeah, people that have gone through a lot of difficult things, whether they've been abused privately or hurt publicly. And when they come through the doors of a church, They are coming into a community of people like you and me who are also sometimes wounded. However, we're forgiven and the blood has cleansed us of our problems and our iniquities. But nevertheless, some of us still bear the scars of battles that we fought before we were Christian. And some of us are still fighting certain battles because there are things that are taking place in our life. But in the church is where the hurting and the wounded should be able to find healing. Jesus is the healer of broken hearts. That's what the Bible teaches. The church being an orchard, That means it's filled with Christians whose fruits should be available to anybody who comes into the midst of a congregation. Now, I understand why it is that there are some people who don't want to have anything to do with God. They don't like preachers. They don't like churches because they've gone to churches and the churches are dead. And they walk in there and and there's no fruit on the vine and joy has languished on the vine, as it says in Joel chapter one. And so there are a lot of people that say that there can't be a God if people carry on like this because of what they don't see. See, the lack of fruit in a person's life. But think of it this way. If if fruit were something that 
you held in your hand or if it was something that was visible to you or if it was something that was nearby to you, that fruit would still be of no value to you unless you actually tasted it. Because you can't get the nutrients of fruit into your life simply by being in its presence. You've got to enjoy it. So Nehemiah chapter nine tells us how when the children of Israel went into the promised land, they had fruit trees in abundance. They ate until they were full and they were a delighted people. You know how excited we are when we have good food. We just came through Thanksgiving. People see that food. A smile comes on their face. People start eating that food. A bigger smile comes on their face. They come to the conclusion of it all. Empty plates everywhere. And the biggest smiles are on people's faces. Why? Because they're content with what they've had. And anybody who comes into contact with you as a Christian, they should leave your presence happier than when they came. So then how am I supposed to minister the fruit of the spirit to people that I come in contact? How do I deal with people who are having difficulties? Notice in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love. You've got nine different fruit that are mentioned here. But you get all of this, these manifestations, these kinds or types from one fruit. The Genesis law says every seed reproduces after its own kind. That means apple seeds only going to produce apples. You're never going to get strawberries from pear seeds. And you're certainly not going to get roses or anything like that from any kind of cantaloupe seed. It reproduces after its own kind. But here is the only place you will ever find where in God's kingdom, one seed produces a variety of different kinds. Right here. The fruit of the spirit is love. How do I minister love to people? Well, first John four and 18, if you want to turn there, you can, I can quote it for you. But first John four and 18 says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out all fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The word love. Everybody say that with me. Love. That's one of the fruit. That's the first fruit mentioned here. It says in verse 18 that love has the ability to cast out fear, just like Jesus casting out the devil. And, and, and fear is something that a lot of people in this world deal with. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a spirit. I mean, Timothy says God has not given us a spirit of fear. So it is true. Some people can just just be bombarded and, 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 com- and composed by a spirit of fear. But there are other people just be startled by something. But the only way to really bring healing to a person who has all kinds of phobias, by love, love helps. When, when your children were small, and <clears throat> because this just seems to happen to everybody at some time or another, you know, to go to sleep, have a bad dream. And then that dream could be somebody chasing them. They could be in a dark place or whatever it is, but, but, but people are nervous. Sometimes they're shaking. They wake up and a little kid will scream. And then, of course, they're up out of the bed. They're coming down the hallway. You hear the pitter patter of the feet coming to right to where you are. And then through the door they come. You still hear the pitter patter of the feet. Then all of a sudden it goes quiet and it goes quiet because they are now airborne. And they're diving into the bed. 
to be with you. And they're shaking and you're saying what's going on. Or if you run to the room yourself to see what's happening, they're shaking and and you realize quickly they're afraid. But you know what? Their happy place is right there in your arms and in your presence. And with you there, those fears subside. So this is how you minister to people who are dealing with a lot of fears in life. You've got to show them a lot of love. And you have to love them through all the fears that they have. What if you have somebody who's afraid of crowds? By crowds, I mean more than three or four people. Yeah. What if you have people that are afraid of uh, going out in the yard? Because, I mean, goodness, out there could be a rattlesnake. See? Or whatever. Those kinds of fears. You still have to love people. And in loving people, you can bring healing to people who are afraid. So this is what this is what he says. The fruit of the spirit is love. The next one here you'll notice is joy. Okay, so the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 13, a merry heart creates or makes a cheerful countenance. Yeah. So happy people tend to smile and be joyful. And then the scripture says in Proverbs 17, 22, that a merry heart does good like what? Medicine, like a medicine. Now, the, the whole point of medicine is to help alleviate pain and in some cases cure whatever a person is going through. But I've seen people who've had migraine headaches. I mean, this, the head is throbbing and it's bothering them so much. And, and, and they're trying to find some of that uh, quick release or fast release Addison or Advil or whatever and their head just throbbing and then they get that that aspirin and they get a little bit of water and, and then they put that pill in their mouth and then they swallow it and then inside of six seconds they do like this <sighs> now that's a rapid release pill if you're healed in six seconds okay now, now, now think about that it, the scripture says that joy is like a medicine. So if if you find someone who is excessively sorrowed or depressed, and you come in contact with teenagers and adults that are on every kind of depression medication you can think of because they're trying to deal with sadness, do you know that what they really need is to be around people like you that are happy? People that are joyful and you have to go out of your way to impart your joy to other people. Because the person that's sad, they're not interested in reaching, reaching for, for it from your branches. So you've got to get to where they are so that you can minister to them. A sad person surrounded by sad people is only going to become sadder. So we need some happy folks. We need some joyful people. And the Bible says in Psalm 16, 11, that thou wilt show me the path of life. But in thy presence is fullness of joy. And then Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 tells us the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. You lose your joy, you lose your happiness, you lose your strength. And when you find people who no longer enjoy their marriage, who no longer enjoy their job, who no longer enjoy their church, who no longer enjoy their family, they're looking for ways out of all of it. Yeah. So joy is what gives you the ability to be strong in the midst of a storm and persevere. And this is what we've got to impart to people who don't have any. We'd have less divorce. Yeah. And we probably have happier people. 
I think some folks end up with ulcers and everything else just because they're mean. They're unhappy. They're stressed. But you put them around some people that'll make them laugh and make them smile. I think things will change. Yeah. Joy is a powerful thing. And if it, if it is a medicine, like the Bible says, it's a medicine. You think that we'd have a lot more of it in the church. I wonder sometimes why it is some people aren't happy. You know, I tease, I joke with people. I, I like to laugh. I'd rather be around people that are happy and smiling than be around people that are sad. If, if you, if you go up to somebody and you say, look, this, this is the worst day I've ever had in my life. And then the person responds by saying, well, if you think your day was bad. Okay, see, and so now you've got two people rehearsing everything that went wrong. Do you think there's going to be anybody happy afterwards? No, not unless everybody's laughing about how crazy their day was. So the, the believer then comes into the midst of a depressed people and brings joy with him or her. And rather than you allowing the person who's depressed to affect you and pull you down, you be a joyful person and you lift them up. That's the plan of God. And so we have in verse 22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Then we have peace. Now, Peace is an interesting word because I think we can keep people from experiencing Mental illness and nervous breakdowns with this fruit right here. Isaiah 26 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have had nervous breakdowns and most of the time they never brought their thoughts captive. They, whatever the devil put in their head, they meditated on it. Pretty, pretty soon it became a paranoia or whatever. And in that weakened state, they became feeble-minded. And in a feeble-minded state, they just couldn't go on and everything just fell apart. But the Bible says that God's word will hold you together. How do I know that? It says in Colossians, all things are held together by the word of his power. So if I meditate on God's word, don't you believe that God is able to have me to experience peace in the midst of a storm? Yeah. So you've got to give that to other people. And when other people are telling you about how bad their life is and and, and I just feel like taking my life and, and, and suicide seems to be an option, you need to get peace into their life. And you need to speak words of peace to them. And you need to speak words of tranquility to them from the word of God. That's the truth. Because Philippians chapter four says, think on things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are a good report. If you sit here tonight and you think about everybody who's ever hurt you and you meditate on every bad thing that's ever happened to you, you'll turn bitter and you won't have any peace in your life. But if you choose to bring your thoughts captive, to think on the things that Paul says we should think about, you'll have a peace that allows you to sleep in the midst of the storm. And the only storm you have control over is the one you can sleep through. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. So if you can't sleep through what you're going through now and you're fretting and you're worrying and oh my goodness, you got veins popping out in your neck and in your head and in the middle of the night, you're just shaking because you're all upset. You don't have any peace. So you need to be around some people who talk like I'm talking 
And you need to be around some people who believe like I believe so that they can help settle you down to help you realize God is bigger than every storm you're facing right now. Because if you don't hear that and all you hear day after day is what comes on MSN and CNN and Fox News and on the radio, you're going to be a terribly unhappy person. The fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace. I want that. I need that. It'd be hard to pastor without this. Yeah, because in in pastoring people, you, you deal with some of the craziest folks you can think of think of, you know, just just crazy, crazy people. But but peace gives you the opportunity to know what the scripture says. And then you can say, I'm staying right here on God's word. I'm standing on the foundation. And if everybody else is over here in turmoil and going through this and going through that, when I talk with them, I'm going to affect them rather than them affecting me. you got to have the fruit of the spirit in your life. What's the next one here? Long suffering. Now, that's an interesting word because we'll also say patience or endurance. Pastor, how long do I have to suffer with these people? I guess until it doesn't bother you anymore. Yeah, that's a long time. And if I'm not mistaken, there's a there's a word called love in First Corinthians 13. that says love is long suffering. How long do you have to put up with Pastor Daryl until you go to heaven? I mean, you've got, to deal, you've got to deal with me down here on planet Earth, my sin nature and everything else. And I've got to don't laugh too hard because the laugh's going to be on my side. Now, when I think about having to deal with you until you die, you see, long suffering fruit is something that allows you to put up with the failures, the flaws and the weaknesses of others. But at the same time, long suffering is something you impart to other people so that they can learn to do so. Some people are easily offended. They walk around with a chip on their shoulder, just waiting on somebody to knock it off. And if, if you have to walk around your family members and other people's like you're walking on eggshells to keep people from blowing up, that's the wrong way to have to live. Especially if people call themselves Christians. Oh, absolutely not. Long suffering. We've got to think about somebody like Job. It says in James chapter five, consider the patience or long suffering of Job. And then it goes on to say, and consider the end of the Lord, that he is pitiful, full of pity and merciful. You know, what that means that if, if you're going to make it through your trial, you need to think of the character of God. And if you think of God's character as one who's merciful and who is full of pity towards you and all of your problems, then you can see the end of your trial and you can see the exit sign. But if you're not going to focus on that and you're going to focus on what everybody's telling you. And, you know, I had a cousin and, and he went through this and everything turned out bad for him. He did the same thing you did on your job. I'm telling you, he lost six jobs. There's just no way you're going to come out of this on top. And if you listen to all of that, you'll never be in a mentality where you can trust God. But if you're going to have long suffering and patience like Job, you're going to pass through difficulties and you're going to walk with God and you're going to see the end. And you're going to say, God, I know you're bringing me through this because you're walking with me through this. Through the spirit. So when a person comes from the outside and their home is in shambles, they don't like their neighbors, their neighbors don't like them. 
Everything about them is falling apart. They burned every bridge you can possibly burn with friends and family. And they come into a local church. And you, we, we and you, we've got to teach them how to be long suffering towards people they no longer like. Yeah. So when you think of the people today who you have had conflict with in the past and you've been quite pleased that you don't have to talk with them or see them. I'm telling you right now, God's got a fruit just for that relationship. And it's not right for you to have these other ones growing on your branches, but you don't want long suffering to be there because you don't want to deal with somebody you don't like. You need to grow up and be mature so that that fruit can be fully developed in your life. Yeah. 25 years of being out here, I've rejoiced when uh, people have come to, to church and, and become part of the church and been here and just been exciting uh, for folks to be in any of the churches. But in 25 years being out here, I, I've, I've, I've been long suffering with a lot, of, a lot of people and I rejoiced when they came. I rejoiced when some left. But you know what? The whole time they were here, they never knew, they never knew the, the kind of long suffering that was needed to deal with people. You understand? I remember years ago, early years of this church, I used to have people working with kids uh, over here in, the, in this, this little room over here. And then I, I don't know how it worked out. Somebody, uh, I think I know who it is, but somebody was just trying to explain to kids, you know, you can't be mean with one another. And you, you, you know, you got to kind of be nice, give this back to them. That's not right. Well, the little kid went to their mom or somebody and said, well, I, I just don't like, so I don't like anybody discipline or correcting my child. I said, really? And, and so folks got angry and, and I'll never forget. They decided they wanted to, to, to quit church. And so I got a phone call one day and they said, well, Pastor Darrell, we'd like to we'd like to have a meeting with you. So I get to this house and there are all these ladies in the living room. And I, I well, where are the husbands at? They're back in the kitchen. Well, the men don't even they, the men didn't want to be in there because the women wouldn't let them in there. So I come and I sit down. And I said, well, what's going on? So they start telling me all these different things about problems they have with this person, that person, so on and so forth. And we just want to talk with you and, and let you know all about it. And I said, well, well, I hadn't seen you. Have you have you quit church? Yes, we quit. We're not coming back. Well, I stood up, started walking towards the door. They said, where are you going? I said, well, if you if you quit church, you're no longer my problem. You don't have the kindness to come to me beforehand since you've already quit. You're gone. I said, I, I'm, I'm headed out the door. I'm not about to sit here and let you talk and speak evil to me of people that I still pastor. I was gone. But you know what? The whole time through all of that, you still had to be long suffering. You see, you have to be long suffering and, and you can't show your cards to people. Even sometimes when they're getting on your last nerve, just walk in love. Walk in love. That's one of the fruit of the spirit. So you move to the next one. This is gentleness, which we can also say it's kindness. In Genesis chapter 50, there's a story of a man whose brethren had sold him into slavery and they didn't realize that he was on the throne in Egypt. Man by the name of Joseph. And here's what the Bible says. The brothers sold him as a slave, went home, told daddy he was devoured by wild animals. Daddy was broken. He just didn't really want to go on living. He said, I'll go down to the grave with gray hair and everything. But 
three times a day or two times a day, however many times the children sat down with their dad to have a meal when they came in from handling the cattle. They had to look their dad in the face. And do you know they lied to him every day for the next 20 years? Let that man believe a lie that his son was dead. When the famine broke out and they had to go to Egypt, they got to Egypt, didn't realize their brother was running the whole country because by now he's dressed like an Egyptian. He's bearded up like them. And as the scripture says, when he came and spoke to them, he spoke to them through an interpreter. So 20 years went by, they didn't recognize him. But when he revealed himself to them, he was weeping, he was crying. And they were startled, they were surprised, they were happy. But now they're terrified because we got to go back home and tell daddy about our lie. Well, they did. They went back. And and in the end, they all moved to Egypt. But here's what here's what really touched me. After Jacob died, it says the brothers went to Joseph in Genesis 50. And they said to themselves, uh, said amongst themselves, daddy is dead. He's going to avenge himself. So they went and got down on their knees and begged for forgiveness, begged for mercy. Joseph stood up in front of them. And in verse 21 of Genesis 50, it says he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How do you speak kindly to people that sold you as a slave and separated you from your dad for two decades? That's a man that didn't have forgiveness in his heart. That kind of fruit needs to be in all of our lives. And maybe we're not quite there yet, okay? However, if if we run with people who are bearing this fruit, do you realize we too will also start bearing this fruit? Yeah, there's no, no doubt about it, yeah. And, and I think it's important because if, if if I'm having a difficulty struggling to forgive someone and I come to you, I need you to help me through my struggle And teach me why I need to believe. I don't need you to pour gasoline on the fire and say, well, I don't like that scoundrel either. Yeah. Fruit. Fruit of the spirit. So then he goes on. He talks about goodness. The Bible says in Romans 2 that the goodness of God leadeth people to repentance. Acts chapter 3, verse 26, the very last verse, it said how God raised up Jesus Christ and blessed you by sending him to turn you away from your iniquities. So true goodness leads to a transformed life. Now, many people today, when they think of the goodness of God and they say God is good, they're basically saying God accepts you as you as you are. And it doesn't matter how you are. You don't have to change what you are. You don't have to change what you're what you're doing. Your behavior is okay to God. That's wrong. Goodness from God leads to repentance. But you can only repent if there's an acknowledgement of sin. And our current culture loves to talk about the goodness of God, but does not like to talk about repentance because it doesn't believe that there is any behavior that God would disapprove of. But even though God is a good God, there are many things God doesn't like. Yeah. And when when I have to listen to people tell me that God doesn't care about this person's lifestyle or that person's lifestyle, say that's wrong. You know, that's wrong. You can change all the different abbreviations that you want to. It's not going to change the character of God and the, the whole alphabet community in America, the LGBT, F-U-Z, you know, X, Y, Z, all that kind of stuff. That, that whole community is consumed with the idea that God is not displeased with my behavior. But in the church, the fruit of the spirit, true goodness 
It's going to help people to see I need to change how I'm living. Yeah. And if if I can come to you and be living with someone out of wedlock. And you don't help me to see that what I'm doing is a sin. Then I'm not experiencing the goodness of God. Now, naturally, love covers a multitude of sin, but in covering a multitude of sin, it doesn't promote a multitude of sins. It doesn't endorse a multitude of sins. It doesn't approve of a multitude of sins. It just means you've got people that you know and I know that are in sin and we love them and we walk with them and witness to them about Jesus Christ. But we let them know that Jesus is the answer. Yeah. So it's it's important to it's important to pass this off to people when we think of the fruit of faith. Of course, we have in Romans ten seventeen where the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Word of God. But there's got to be hearing. See, So it's not going to come from from a lot of other things. It's going to come from hearing what God's word says. There's a story in Acts chapter 14, verse seven. It says there's a man sitting there who's never walked. He's listening to Paul teach. And then as Paul preaches. It says faith appears on the man's countenance. And, and Paul says he has he saw that he had faith to be healed. He told him to stand up. So faith is visible on a person's countenance and face just like unbelief is. Yeah. And maybe you've had a conversation with people before and you could look at them and you could tell they're not thinking about anything you're talking about. They turned you off the moment you start talking about God. You've had that. See, it's visible. So it's faith. But but what changes a person's life is by teaching them to believe, teaching them to trust and rely on God. Some people will say, well, you know, if, if you teach people to believe God in every circumstance of life, you give them a false hope. How is it ever a false hope if you're teaching people to believe God? OK, how is that a false hope? What what is wrong with with telling someone whose marriage is on fire and everybody's ready to go stand before the judge? What's wrong with telling them if you really want to see this thing work and you don't want the divorce, then keep believing God even as you walk into the courtroom? How is that giving somebody a false hope? It's not. And the person who's in this world and in this body and facing every kind of agonizing pain you can think of, how is it giving somebody a false hope to tell them, talk to God, he's a good physician, you see? Faith, it comes by teaching people the Bible. And and I think sometimes we use the wisdom of men as if it's a principle of God. And just because we've gone through a a network of experiences that demonstrate failure over here, we then want to take that whole issue of experiences and explain it as if it's a principle or statute of God. That's wrong. That's wrong. You may have had 10 people in your family go into eternity who didn't believe in God. But you know what you ought to do the next time you witness to a sinner? Tell them Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And, And don't waste your time Dealing with what you can't change, you know, you, you can't change that stuff. There was a, a man who just recently passed away and my wife used to attend uh, his church down there in Tulsa, had a big church, thousands of people at that church. And and so uh, Tiff had some friends that was in this man's church right down to the end when the church dissolved. Well, he, he got off on the wrong track. 
You just started believing some terrible things and stopped believing in hell and started believing in this gospel of inclusion and accepting all of these terrible things. Well, Tiff long ago had walked away from from that man's church just with the, the, the hint of bad doctrine back in the late 90s when she was in college down there. But but I know for a fact there were plenty of people who still were reaching out to this man trying to bring him back to truth. He rejected all his spiritual father's counsel. He didn't want to hear anything they had to say. And, 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 and as far as I know, right up to the very end, he was still holding to the heresy that, that, that God just accepts anybody, that Jesus died on the cross, and when he died, he saved everybody. Nobody goes to hell. You're saved whether you know it or not. So sad, so sad. So I talked to a number of my friends about this, and I was just sharing with them my thoughts. They were sharing with me their thoughts. But you know what it all comes back to? We've got to, we've got to teach what the book says and not what the psychologists say and not what the psychiatrists say. Well, you've got two more fruit here. Meekness, which certainly has to do with humility. The Bible says in James chapter 4 that God will exalt the humble. What does that mean? That means he'll lift you up above. Above what? Above your adversaries, above your trials, above your difficulties. But if God has to lift you up, that also means at the same time, God is willing sometimes to let us come down low. See? But what he expects from us, despite where we are in our status with him, he expects us to be humble. Paul says it this way. I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. Can you be that way? Can, can you be happy when things are going well for you? And will you be happy when things aren't going so well for you? To be meek is to allow your life to be harnessed by God. You allow him to control the reins of your heart. He directs your path, he directs your steps, he directs your feet, he directs your legs, he directs you entirely. That's what it means to be meek, to be humble, to allow the Lord to guide you. And then, of course, the last one here is temperance, which is self-restraint or self-control. Now, the reason this one is an important fruit and needs to be ministered to people it's because just like with meekness, most people are filled with pride. And everybody outside the kingdom of God is dominated by pride. But even as a Christian, we all struggle with pride. So meekness is something we need to be able to help people to see so that it can be imparted to them and they can change their life. Temperance flows right with that because now we're talking about self-control, self-restraint. And even though I use the word self, I want you to, to understand clearly that what I mean is whatever you're doing in your life, it's got to be bounded by the scriptures. Because only God can give us the ability to control our habits. And this fruit here is what will prevent addiction. And what will help keep people from continually being bound by addiction. Here's what here's what temperance will do. A a person who has this fruit and, and they're sharing this with other people, they'll say to them, you know what? You ought not even try that because if you try. What if you like it? Yeah. What if you like it? See, what what happens with alcohol? Because you have a lot of 
You have a lot of Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists, Methodists, Episcopalians, and other kind of aliens that, that love to drink. You see? They don't mind being socially active with their drinking. But, but temperance and self-control will say, I probably need to stay away from that. Because I've never, ever seen where Christianity and alcohol is a good mix. Now, you can find the verse in Timothy where it says, take a little wine for your often infirmities. And I'm not a doctor. And if you know, if you got something going on physically and a doctor were to tell you that, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not saying anybody's headed to hell because of that. But I am telling you this. There'll never be a time in your life where you ever hear me say something positive about the liquor industry from the pulpit ever. Nothing positive at all to say. And if you're a Christian, you ought to stay away from it. You say, why? You can acquire a taste for that and that thing will destroy you. And I've walked up and down this valley visiting families and being with people and having to deal with teenagers with parents that are drunk and slept out in the garage all because of liquor. And they never had to get involved with it. Never. So my wife, of course, her lips have never tasted alcohol. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But I don't have that testimony. I lost that thing when I was about four. I had two older brothers. We had a bar in our basement in Cleveland, Ohio. Mom and dad would disappear, go wherever they were going shopping or something. You better believe my older brothers headed down there to that bar. They went straight for the hard stuff. And before you know it, they hand little Daryl a little flask. I'd take a little sip. Well, remember, I wasn't raised in a Christian house. We were heathen, okay? We lived like we were. We were sinners by nature. So the the terrible thing about that was my oldest brother actually acquired a taste for beer. And I'm telling you, he loved beer the way some people love Coca-Cola. Two, three, four a day. Became an alcoholic. But but here here Daryl hated the smell of it, hated the taste of it. From the very first time. But I, I've often wondered what in the world if I would have had a taste for that stuff. For the hard stuff, you know. But temperance, that's the fruit that says, I don't even want to try that meth. And I don't even want to try the marijuana. See, that, that's self-control. That's self-control. And, and when a person finds themselves caught in the midst of some kind of, of addiction, temperance is what will help bring about some of their deliverance. Because what, what temperance does is it starves the appetites of that old nature, thereby weakening it so that its power isn't so strong. I didn't say the temptation wouldn't be there. So you get somebody hooked on seeing stuff they shouldn't see on their telephone, on their computer, on the TV. That beast inside that old nature has an insatiable appetite and there's never an end, never comes to an end. However, once you start cutting stuff off, see, oh, no, you, you, you got an iPhone. No, no, no. You're going back to a slide phone. You're going back to a flip phone. You, 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 got, you got this on your television. Oh, no, you're getting rid of all them, them movie channels and all that kind of stuff. We may have, have to even come over there and help you get rid of your TV. See, all of that that causes that old nature to live, you've got to weaken it so that its powers won't be so strong. This is what the fruit of the spirit is. Temperance. Well, we could say the same for gluttony. 
Yeah, what, what does the proverb says? When you go to your neighbor's house and you sit down to eat, put a knife to your throat. Now, I'm going to be honest, that's always been hard for me if I go eat John's fried chicken. Yeah, my, my, my eyes say go for as many pieces as you can, even though you can only get so many in that belly, you know. But, but it doesn't change what the book says, put a knife to your throat. What, the, what does that mean? Temperance, self-control. Folks, listen to me. If we have these in our life, when people come and visit us as a congregation, we can minister to them and bring blessing and deliverance and help to a whole lot of people. Because if they had the answer, they wouldn't be in the predicament they're in. See, but we have the answer. And it's just not right for us to have a Bible on our shelf and to understand everything that this book says and, and for us to be the kind of orchard that God wants us to be. And then when people come and want to talk to us, then we act like we don't have time to spend with them. Spend time with people that are hurting and love them. Amen. Amen. Love them. Love them. And let God have his way through you. As you reach out and touch them, Jesus could have never healed as many people as he did in Galilee and in Judea had he not taken the time to walk through the city to be around the people. If you want to reach people, then you've got to stick your hand out. So you've got to have an extended hand ministry and you can't be in such a hurry and a rush to do this and to do that. But but to spend time with people that are broken, because that's where the miracles take place amongst the people that need help, whether it's feeding somebody hungry, clothing somebody naked Blessing somebody who needs to be blessed. Let's stand tonight. My prayer is that we as a congregation would, you know, let these fruit fully develop in our lives. And, you know, as I taught, maybe the spirit of God was working on you about one or two or more fruit that really need to be developed in your life. And so so that you can minister those fruit to other people. You can't teach a lesson like this without coming under conviction. Even the Spirit of God, when I started working on this several weeks ago, the Lord was just saying, look at how much work needs to be done, you know. And sometimes in order for God to get that rose bush to produce prettier roses in the next season, he's got to prune it. Revelation 22 talks about a tree on either side of the river of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nation. Ezekiel 47 talks about that same verse, but it says that tree has a leaf that's for medicine. So so that tells me then that what we bring forth will work with any nationality. Yeah. Black. White. Hispanic. Asian. Anybody can taste this fruit and God can change their life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for putting in your book a a beautiful series of verses that deal with the fruit of the spirit. And for this little bit of time, as we've been walking through this, you have been talking to our hearts and speaking to us. And Lord, where we have not been as faithful as we should be to tend to our own garden in our own life, we ask you to forgive us. Father, help us to blossom and bloom and flourish And help our fruit to come to maturity so that other people, when they're around us, they can enjoy these blessings. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen.